10 years ago, I was cast to be a judge in a reality TV show called Recipe to Riches. Jesse Palmer was the host, Dana McCauley and Laura Calder my co-judges, alongside Galen Weston. Laura was there because she knew about recipes and Dana is one of the smartest food innovators that I know. And I was there because I knew about brands. I was also a little feisty, calling out the ideas I loved and taking down the ones I didn't. Each week, Canadian home cooks battled to have their original recipes become a President's Choice product in grocery stores, and it ran for two seasons. I loved doing the show, but I struggled to balance my responsibilities on set with my real job running Capital C, an ad agency I'd founded a decade earlier. So you can imagine the respect I have for Brian and Sarah Baumler. They are two of the biggest specialty TV stars on the planet, and their latest show, Island of Brian, is about renovating a resort on an island in the Bahamas. Add to this responsibility, his parents are raising four children, and they're also running 14 businesses. I had a chance to sit down with Brian and Sarah. I asked them, how did they manage to do all of this? What you'll soon learn is they aren't just great builders. Their answers, combined with the humility and honesty, are building blocks for your and my lives. We're getting there. Almost done. <laughs> oh no! Welcome to the island. So we're back. I mean, we never really. We've never left. left. We're still here. Oh god! With all the kids. This is not in my contract. Our opening date is set in stone. We have four months. Seems a lot. Sixteen faster. Weeks. Sixteen. When you weeks. say it in weeks. So we definitely need the other villa done and these signature rooms. Flights have been purchased. The people are coming. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. They're international TV celebrities. They're among the top specialty television celebrities in the world. And you'll learn later on how they made a decision in five minutes that absolutely turned their life upside down and came with two unexpected events, a hurricane and a pandemic. Brian and Sarah, welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, Brian, last year I had the honor of having you in on, a, on the podcast, and a lesson that your dad told you really stuck with me. And he said, Brian, you need to learn how to fish and farm. Tell me a little bit more about that. My dad is a real, you know, down-to-basics, blue-collar guy and always has been on the tools in the sheet metal shop that he, uh, he started the year I was born, you know, took a big risk. That always really resonated with me. And he, he said, you know, there's two kind of people that will, you know, survive any type of adversity. And those are farmers and, and fishermen. And if you have the personality where you go out in the boat in the morning and you throw two casts and you don't catch a fish and you say, there's no fish in this lake, I'm going home, uh, you're not having fish for dinner. You have to cast every inch of every shoreline, you know, of every lake you can get to. And those are the guys that have a boat full of fish at the end of the day. People that are willing to put in the work, take the time and reap the rewards. You know, on the other side, you have the farmers who are patient. You know, they have the choice every spring to uh, open a bag of seeds and cook seeds and eat those seeds, uh, but they don't. They get up at 5 o'clock every morning and they toil in the fields and they plant those seeds and they care for them for months and they water them and fertilize them and give them what they need without taking from them. And when the time is ready, they have an incredible harvest and they have more bags of seeds available for them. So it's about patience and endurance and, and hard work. Uh, and waiting for the right time to take that harvest. And Sarah, I want to go to you. And first of all, as, as a marketing person, I'm so impressed with how you've built your brand over the years and really making it stand for simplicity and creativity and things that really touch a lot of people's lives. And you have a quote on your website that says, life is just time and how we use it. 
What do you mean by that? Well, I think for me and when I look at what we are trying to do, what we are hoping to do, whether it be personally, whether it be as a family or also as entrepreneurs, we start to get bogged down by schedules, by planning, by you know calendars on our computers. And the reality of it all is that life is so short and we are here for an amount of time that is unbeknownst to any of us. How we choose to use that time is completely up to us as individuals. If you are happy in the moment doing what you are doing, then you are in the right place. And I think we spend a lot of time planning for the future, thinking about the future, but there is also this sort of has to be an acceptance of where you are right now. It's great to plan. It's great to have goals, but you also have to be willing to sort of just take a moment and appreciate that the time you're at right now is where you're supposed to be and how you're using that time is exactly what you should be doing. Brian, when we were chatting earlier, you know, most kids grow up making forts out of cushions. You were at a 14, you built a cottage on, a, on an island, but you decided to go to university to become a lawyer because you thought lawyers were the ones that drove fancy cars. And if I remember correctly, you decided that after a few years at poli sci, you really wanted to get back to construction. You bought this brand new truck. You put your name on it, your tools in it. What did your parents say when they walked over and saw that truck for the first time? Well, it was interesting. I mean, my, you know, my father escaped from East Germany, you know, at, at the tail end of the war into West Germany and, and made his way to uh, California and eventually Canada. You know, he was a frugal guy. He was never the guy to, to show up at work in a fancy car, very frugal. And he tried to pass that down to us. But my first truck was you know, fully loaded, you know, the bigger tires, the exhaust system, the stereo system, you name it. And I, I slathered this sticker down the side that said Baumler Quality Construction. And his company, as I grew up, was Baumler Quality Sheet Metal. And he pointed at the truck and he said, do you see that? I thought the lesson was going to be, well, you spent too much money on this truck. But he said, that's my name. Don't, I'll paraphrase, don't mess it up. Not a turning point, but that was a really great lesson for me, that if you put your name on something, you have to stand behind it and you have to do things properly. And my mom piped in and said, and, and keep your nose clean. And she meant it literally and, and figuratively. She did the books for my father's company. And her lesson was always show up when you say you'll be there, do what you say you'll do, pay your taxes, and you can sleep at night and you never have to look over your shoulder. And Sarah, today where you are, I have to believe you couldn't imagine that when you're in university. What, what were you thinking about doing and what was your passion back there? Well, I think for me, um, it's always been in the creative field. I went the traditional university path that I assumed everyone was supposed to go through. You know, I finished high school. Brian and I went to the same high school. And then I went off to university because that's what most children were doing at that age. It was an opportunity to sort of grow and, and become a little bit more independent. But it was never... My passion being in the classroom, I never finished a four-year degree saying, that's it, I know exactly what I wanted to do. I actually finished four years of university, and I wanted to get back to my roots of being a dancer. That's what I had done since I was like three years old. I spent the most amount of time in a studio creating, planning, dreaming, and that's what I loved. And when I finished university, Brian and I started dating soon after that. That was the time, and, and Brian was one to encourage it. He says, well, if you have a love and you have a passion, you have to follow it. And I ended up going back, doing all my credentials to become certified in multiple disciplines in um, classical dance. And I opened my own dance studio, and I started my very first business. So it was really a combination of time where I had been in my life, obviously finding Brian and his confidence to be able to say, you know, if you're if you're not on one path, that's okay. You have the opportunity to try something else. 
do something else. And that's exactly what I did. And I think that for me started the creative process and it's just evolved from there into so many different facets of, of life and business that I never could have dreamed of. Ryan, you know, you talk about confidence, you're evoking this confidence, but at that time in your life, you were suffering from severe anxiety. And I think anxiety is something that is a current that runs through a lot of small business owners. So tell us about how bad it was and what did you do to kind of, as you say, put that monkey to the ground? You know, I was at the point, I was agoraphobic. I, I almost couldn't leave, uh, you know, for a year and a half, I, I could barely leave my apartment. At the same time, I was running a, an air cargo brokerage company and, and, and starting to get back into construction. It was debilitating, but it was also not talked about. It wasn't something that, that now I know that most of my friends have had episodes of that in their lives. And, and some people suffer from the same thing every day and depression and, and other things. And it's more accepted now and more talked about, but I think it, it needs to come to the forefront a little. For me, it was something that I didn't understand and something that had had to have a deeper meaning. But at some point, too, that motivated me or taught me. You may sit and stare at a wall and, and think that everything is terrible and your, your heart's about to explode and, and you're about to fall over and that's it. But you get through the other side of that in 10 or 15 minutes and you realize, OK, that that wasn't the one. When it happens enough, and, and this applies to, you know, anxiety disorder or business in life. When it happens enough, you start to become, I think, conditioned to it. And you start to realize, okay, it, you know, it's raining today, but it, it'll be sunny tomorrow. Or, you know, I had a, I had a bad fault today, but I'm going to get up tomorrow and, and do this again. So it, it really is a mental game, you know, with anxiety or depression or anything else. It's a game that plays with you and you need to learn how to get through it. And, and business and life is the same. You know, you have to have perspective. And that's why traveling and meeting different people and going to different places and trying different businesses and having different experiences gives you uh, little tools and it gives you more importantly the perspective to stand back from your situation and say you know it could be a lot worse a lot of times when that happens it's the empathy of a partner or a spouse or someone that i know you when you met brian he was already working his way through it what advice can you give to people that are living with somebody that has anxiety or depression based on your experiences and how do you support them and say, I'm, I'm there for you when you need me? At the start, it was just identifying it. And when there are certain changes in his behavior, in his mood, sometimes even his responses to myself or the kids, it was recognizing that. And originally, I'll be honest, when, when things would sort of shift, I'm, I would get upset. I'd be like, what, what's upset with Brian? I don't get it. And I would be thinking very much about myself and not really looking at it and sort of saying, okay, there's been a shift. There's been a change in his behavior and starting to recognize the signs. And I think for me, identifying it and then being able to sort of talk to Brian about it and being honest to sort of listen to it and sort of say, I'm here, I want to help you as best as I can, but also letting them know that if he needs the space that he needs, I'm the one that can help steer the ship at that time. We sort of say as a partnership, that's what really a relationship is about as well. There are times when, you know, I could tell if, if it was sort of a, a week where Brian's anxiety was really ramped up, then I would sort of say, okay, well, I wonder what I can take off his plate. How can I support him by also kind of steering the ship for a little bit while he takes some time? And that's what I think it is. You know, there isn't always two captains in every team Sometimes it's just really getting to know your partner and understanding and identifying with where they are at that time and, and how best to support each other. We are living here. We are working here. We are sharing this property with so many people. We are very fortunate for all the people that have been here long before us, like Marco and Archie. We're here for good. <laughs> for all of the construction guys. There's so many people on this site making this happen day in and day out that 
More than ever, we realize that it does take a village to make this type of project happen. It takes an entire island. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My special guests are Brian and Sarah Baumler, and what a Cinderella story. Began with a small construction company, but then they discovered reality TV, and today, they now have a production empire. For some reason, you thought television and construction belong together. Both are quite chaotic industries. You've been doing it for 17 years, but taking back to the early days, Brian, when you decided that instead of just hammering nails, you're going to start hammering out television shows. Well, it's interesting uh, with a, a political science and business background and, and having been back to trade school and, and working with my you know, my dad and my mother in the business, you know, marketing is, is always a, a key thing. It's always, you know, Sarah and I walked around with 10,000 flyers and put them in people's doors, you know, when we first started. So marketing, you have to get your name out there. You have to show people. And I had my feet on the couch one day watching some of these uh, home improvement shows. And, the, you know, the plumber came on and, and the host said, if you need plumbing done, this is the only plumber in the world that can do it. He's the best. Here's his, you know, his name is wet. And I thought, that's incredible marketing. So I, uh, I actually contacted a, a network production company based on a, a casting call on the website. And I sent a very simple email and it said, hello, my name is Brian. I own a construction company. I have five employees. Four of them have all of their teeth. Three of them are funny. Two of them have faces you can show on camera, but every single one of them works extremely hard and they're good at what they do. <laughs> I'd be happy to come down for three months and provide all of your construction labor for free. I was going to take, you know, our, our busiest construction season the summer uh, and give it away and, and spend that on marketing so that we could get some advertising in the show. I included a photo in that email of Sarah and I just in deep cove in Vancouver, just wearing a, a sweatshirt standing there. And she said, why did you put that photo in there? And I said, so they can see we're normal people. We're just, we're just people. I had a visit from the production company on a site where a homeowner had us quote the job for half a million. And he said, that's too expensive. I'm going to do this myself. I, I need the number of your demo guy, your framer, your plumber, your electrician, your drywall cat. And I said, no, 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 that's not how it works. So Fast forward six months, and we're in to take the job over. He had made such a mess of it. And this is when the production showed up with a small camera, and they asked one simple question. They said, what happened here? And I pointed at the homeowner, and I said, well, Bonehead here thought he'd build his own house, and he will paraphrase. He messed it up so badly that he called me six months later to come in and take it over. Now he's going to pay me twice what he would have paid me the first time. They panned over to him, and he just you know, very solemnly went, yeah. And Frank, who's now my partner in the production, said, I think we have what we need and, and walked out the door. And, and I was terrified that we had messed it up. But I, uh, I was sitting at the a desk with the head of the network about a week later. And she said, Brian, how would you like to have your own show on the network? And essentially what that meant to me is you're going to give me work to do, pay me to do it, edit it to make me look perfect. And you're going to broadcast that to my target audience. Where do I sign? And Sarah, your part, I mean, obviously you're right. Early days of the business, you're handing out 10,000 flyers. How did you feel about the fact that we were moving out of construction, willing to give away your best crew for the summer? I mean, a lot of times small business people have dreams and they have big ideas, but pragmatism takes in, feasibility takes in. Were you on board right away or were you kind of a little suspicious that this might be just a, a folly? I think we're both on board. I think that the days that people so rarely talk about and give credit to themselves even, it's those early days because I was pregnant with Quinton and we made up these flyers and, and we truly did, me and my pregnant belly, we, we walked around door to door. And when I look at it now, I say, well, those were, were the times that we invested in one another and, and we believed in this together. And that's the planting of the seed, as Brian talked about. 
you both aren't always on the same page at the same time. But what you have to do is still feel like you have a goal that you're both driving towards. And I think Brian was so excited by this opportunity. I was as well. We weren't really sure what it meant to be on TV because HGTV at that time was a very different network as well. And we were we were young and we just had a newborn baby on the way. So I was nervous. But Brian always said to me, you know what? We will do everything we can to put a roof over the head of this child and food in our fridge. And we both had that as a goal and we just stuck to it every day, day in and day out. That sense of hustle or focus or dedication. Do you think we need more of this today in our economy where people go, I'm willing to risk or reward because no matter what we will provide, we will do things we will earn? Interestingly enough, I think we need a wide spectrum of people. We certainly need the people that are innovative and you know, are willing to do the R&D and, and take the chances and, you know, and, and go to the moon, you know, metaphorically speaking. But we also need the people that look at, you know, our industry and our economy. And, you know, there's a lot of value in going home at four o'clock and being able to sleep until Monday morning and, and having nothing to worry about. There's such a wide spectrum of people out there. No, we definitely need the hustle. I mean, you, you need to be able to get up and, and realize that, you know, especially in the trades, and, and it's a big thing that we're focusing on now to get young people involved in the trade from all different backgrounds and, and aspects. If you put the time in, you know, blood, sweat and tears turns into something you can feed your family with. For me, it's very visceral. It's, it's you know, I can I can work extra hours and put the time in and get a few more calluses on my hands and provide additionally. And from there, it really depends how far you want to go. You need to set your goals. You need to set your limitations and you need to really decide what you want and have an honest conversation with yourself, with your partner, with your business partners and really not give in to the pressures of what mom and dad want and what Uncle Joey thinks is right and what your guidance counselor thinks is right. There's a part of all business and I think of all life that that is a real gut feeling. You jump and you find out you can fly. Let's get back to that first television show. Sarah organizes a party. There's about 150 people coming to watch this premiere. She's smiling right now. It's such a great story. Everybody's so excited to see this couple on television because, I mean, television's a big thing. And the second the show's over, what did you whisper in Sarah's ear? Well, this was the first season of Disaster DIY, which was, uh, you know, we ran nine seasons, 108 shows. The show ends, the credits run through, and I leaned over and I whispered in her ear, that was the worst show I've ever seen. Uh, this, is, this is terrible. It's all going horribly wrong. But uh, I, guess, I guess I was wrong. And Sarah, what did you say? Because you, you watched it from a different lens. What did you say to him when he was ready to just throw in the towel and run back to his truck and just get back to You're right. No. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I think, you know, we didn't know a lot about television. We didn't know this field. We hadn't studied it. We didn't go to school to become actors. And I think all of those things worked to our advantage. As Brian said, he just had hustle. And we spent a lot of time talking to one another about whether or not we have the endurance. We weren't thinking about what would happen in one year, two years, five years. Gosh, now it's 17 years. We were just looking at each other and saying, you know, are we going to endure whatever life throws at us down this path? And I think now, as we talk about sort of hustle and all that as well, I think there's a, an element of endurance that perhaps isn't recognized or discussed as much as it should. And I think we've seen that in the last few years. It's really like, can you lead or can you continue to do this through all of the unknown that is going to be thrown your way? Athletes train for endurance. What do you think small business owners can do to make themselves more prepared for when things happen, especially things that they have no control over? You have to build in 
the worst case scenario to your your business plan. I mean, everybody manufactures a business plan to show to their banker, to show to their investors, to show to their partners. You know, a lot of times it's it's best case scenario. And, you know, luckily, uh, we opened a hotel six weeks before a global pandemic shut international travel down. Not an ideal scenario. And we had to make some decisions very quickly. You know, we had built into our business plan, you know, fully staffed, operating for up to 12 months. We quickly looked at it and said, you know, our, our expenses are higher than we anticipated. People aren't traveling. They, you know, we're, we're, we're locked down on this island. People aren't, you know, we couldn't even travel in our island. And we very quickly had to look at things and, and spread hours out between employees and lay off some employees so they could collect their national insurance. And we really had to look at our stock. We had to go down in the cellar and say, you know, how many vegetables do we have? How many cans of soup do we have? And how long is that going to last us? And we really have to ration this until we get to a point where we can get back out there and, and make a little more hay. And I think you always have to consider that. But at the same time, you always have to remember that the worst case scenario is that you're not here tomorrow to continue your business. The worst case scenario is not going broke. It's not losing your business. It's not failing. Every failure, every, every hungry night sitting at home is, is a lesson. It's something you can look at and draw on in the future to keep yourself going. So the only real failure is, is not doing anything. So you really have to remember that, you know, no matter how dark it seems, uh, how terrible things are, it's not the worst case scenario and you, you just have to keep moving forward. Hi, this is Tony Chapman and you're listening to Chatter That Matters. When we come back, I asked Sarah, who's no longer in the shadow of Brian Baumler, what she did to claim the spotlight and become one of the biggest design brands in the world. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. RBC provides small business owners with resources that go beyond banking. Resources that help them attract new customers, build strong employee teams, and manage their money. To get access to these services, go to rbc.com slash beyondbanking. Small businesses matter to RBC. Here, you can go jump on the mattress. No, 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 You should try it out. Hey, monkey, no jumping on the bed. No, no, no. You're doing my worst nightmare right now. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Welcome back. My special guests are Brian and Sarah Baumler. So, Sarah, I want to ask you a question because you started off behind the scenes delivering flyers. You were behind the scenes in terms of the business. Then you started to appear more and more on television and you sort of stepped out of Brian's shadow, grabbed your own spotlight. Now you're an incredible brand and you're on your own. How does that work? Because there's very few rock bands that have two great lead singers. You seem to pull it off. So how do you who's got influence and who's got authority? In what area? I'm just a roadie now. I'm a, <laughs> I carry I carry the equipment in. I set it up and then I leave. That's not true. I don't I don't know if we've really sort of deciphered who is the lead. I think we just both accept that we can't drive the ship at the same time. We both understand that there are certain things that one person or the other needs to take a lead on. And I think that for us has sort of come with time and with age and maturity because, you know, in the early days, I feel you're usually willing to compromise, you know, in a new marriage, a new relationship, a new partnership, you always want to make the other person happy. You want to meet in the middle. Then what happens is you never really address the problem or you never move forward and you never progress because you've really just avoided 
stuff instead of solving the problem. And I think even what Brian and I show on the show or what I hope we we portray is that we have those difficult conversations and there's times when Brian's leading the ship more than I am or vice versa. We have to do that because, you know, if we continue to avoid conflict, then everything will just stall and we'll never move forward. So we have to just understand that we're not going to make each other happy 24 hours a day. We're not always going to find this perfect compromise in the middle. That sometimes we really have to make some difficult compromises and and one person will lead and another person uh, will lead at a different time. Our first show together was House of Brian and that uh, we were living in a 1950s bungalow with mold in the basement. And, you know, he just wrapped up season three of Disaster DIY. It, it, you know, it was one of the, the higher rated shows on the network at the time. And I live in a dump. You know, I said, if anyone drives by and knows I live here and they watch the show, this, this is, you know, the whole house of cards is coming down. And Sarah said, if, if we don't fix this place up soon, I'm, I'm moving. You know, I'm going to take the kids and go somewhere nice. We decided to, to film that first show, House of Brian. And Sarah really was the contractor's wife that appeared occasionally. On the second project, she started to get more and more interested in the design and the architecture. In the third project, you know, it was pretty much 50-50 on camera. We did Brian Inc. was a, another series. Uh, and that was more about our business when Sarah had decided that, you know, she, she went in, uh, to a design school in New York and started learning more about the, uh, the nuts and bolts of design and got a lot more involved in the process. And, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been really great for me. You know, I, I always make a joke that the racehorse is getting tired. There's a lot of people sitting on the saddle. But for me, you know, I'm really proud to see that in the past couple of years, Sarah's brand has exploded. We have the discussion at home where it's, you know, why why are you now working 80 hours a week? But, you know, she's making great inroads. She's got a, a new office down here. We still have the office at home in Canada and really growing her brand and pushing forward and, and being creative and thinking. So, you know, it's nice for me to almost take a little bit of a, a step back and, and plan the future. I mean, I, you know, I, I have a rocking chair, all these, I have all these things ready to go. And it, it's nice to see her and her brand excelling as an individual, you have to clap for your partner's successes or you're just fighting against each other. So, you know, for me, I, I want to slow down a little bit. And uh, so watching Sarah kind of run faster than me is great. So what advice would you give to small business owners that have kids knocking at the door or relatives that want to get involved with the business? Lock the door. <laughs> I mean, you, you really have to assess, you know, a lot of people say business is business and you know, it's, it's true. You know, at the end of the day, you have to make decisions, especially if you have investors, if you have, you know, if you're finance, whatever it may be, you need to focus on the business as an individual. The business is not, I mean, we own the business, but it's, it's not a, it's not me. It's, it's another individual sitting at the table and you have to manage that individual's life and that, you know, you have to guide in the right direction and take care of it to, to keep that business alive. So when you're looking at nepotism or bringing family in or, or friends in or what, what have you, you really have to do a proper assessment on, is this A, going to affect my personal relationship? Because business is business, but with family, you know, you have to be empathetic and compassionate and thoughtful at some point. So you really have to decide before you go down that route, is this going to ruin our personal relationship? Uh, is this the best move for the business? And, you know, what is the future? Am I looking to succession plan here? Am I looking to uh, bring someone else in and expand, you know, what are their what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and, and you really have to assess that, especially when it's someone that's personally tied to you and not just a business associate. Has any one of you brought in somebody into your organization the other wasn't certain about? I don't know, you know, initially I don't know that we have. Of course we've had we've had staff members and we've had, you know, business relationships with people that, that ended up not working out. And that that that's like personal relationships. That's okay. 
but I don't, I don't know that we've ever had a, a major disagreement on an individual we were bringing into one of the corporations. I would say that you're very confident in your business, in your business plan of where you want to grow. But I think sometimes there's a lack of time spent really on what it means to build an effective team, what that looks like, even understanding what that final mile of the business is going to look like. Like as Brian touched on sort of succession planning, but it's even just at different stages of the business, do you have the right support in place? And I think as entrepreneurs, we see this clear path. Brian says multiple times to me that he sees the finished product and he has to dissect it back and figure out how to put it together. He sees it already finished years before it's even come to be. And I think what a lot of entrepreneurs have to do and learn how to do well, whether it be learn more, ask more questions, read more, is how to build that team around them and how to plan properly for the future. Because it's not just about hiring and firing. It's really making sure that you're optimizing the people that are around you and that you're using everyone to the best of their abilities and even to yourself, that you're still doing what you love and that you know, you have strengths and weaknesses and that those are aligned with where you want to go with your business. Well, let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. Start with you, Sarah. What would Brian's number one strength be and what is the weakness that you need to shore up either with you individually or with people around him? I would say Brian's biggest strength is his, truly his ability to learn and adapt in any situation. Brian can be put in a situation that he is completely foreign to him, whether it be the project at hand or something he's just heard about and he will find a way to dissect it and figure out how to make it happen. Rarely in my life, I have never heard Brian say, well, you know, I just don't know how Brian's answer is that, well, let me figure out how on the weakness side, Brian gets in his own head. Sometimes I say to him, you, you can do this. Like, and he's like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this right now. Maybe it's the wrong time for the family. And, and I say to him, if, if this is something you want, let's go for it. And I think sometimes he worries. He cares so much about the family around him, the kids, myself, I know. And he's just not selfish at all. But sometimes I have to say, you know, you have to focus on you. You have to put yourself first and foremost, sometimes for your for your own growth, because that's what spills over and allows the rest of the family to to have that joy as well. I can only dream my wife would call that a weakness. I mean, that was that was quite a quite a thing. How about you, Brian? You better uh, you got that's a tough one. Boy, to follow. Oh no, it, it's true. I may be a little too empathetic. I'm going to I'm going to read some books and uh, <laughs> Sarah's strengths really are her focus and determination. You know, I, I, I remember the phrase she's repeated to me since the day we met. I'm an independent decision-making woman. I think it's really important for her to teach our daughters that, uh, you know, and our, and our sons that. You are the sum total of everything around you, but you are not constructed of those things. You are your own person. You can make your own decisions. Sarah's very driven, very focused. That's the strength, but it's also the weakness. You know, there are times when we're going through one right now. I've bought this, I've done this, you know, I'm hiring a staff and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go and, and put time into it. And it's a challenge in, in a family. It's a challenge to the other businesses sometimes. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not always aligned on, on the same business path we want to take or, or life path. But I think, you know, that, that same focus and determination and drive is, is her biggest strength. And it's, it's also, you know, it can also be her biggest weakness that, that those blinders go on and she sees the finish line 
and you better not be standing between her and the finish line uh, or you're going down. What's next for us? Well, first we have a hotel to open and a family to figure out. And still a little bit of work to do. A lot of work to do. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My special guests are Brian and Sarah Baumler. In five minutes, they make a decision that changes the course of their life forever. And that decision turns into a TV show called Island of Brian. Living in paradise sounds amazing. (laughs) But there's a lot more to it than just coconut-based drinks and mini umbrellas. Brian, you've got... You know, you talked about way back, you had five guys, two had a face for TV, all five had teeth. You knew everybody, you knew their families, you knew, probably knew who their cousins' names are. As your business grows and your, and the size of your organization, how do you two maintain your culture? Like, how do you, the things that matter to you, the purpose, the values? Yeah, you know, in the early days, I tried to expand too quickly. There were some messes made. And I think, you know, looking at the companies now, we slowed growth in that period until we could focus on a little more. And we're at the point now where they're, you know, they are well-oiled machines. We have the right people in place. They're operating. But it's a matter of regular contact. It's a matter of dropping to the office and and saying hi to people. Because there there are times, and I'll be totally honest, you know, I'll get an email and say, Michelle just had a baby. Congratulations. And I look at Sarah and I say, who's Michelle? You know, and, and you're going to get to that state in a business if, you know, if that's what you're aiming for to have, not not to not know people's names, but to have more employees and, and ultimately be supporting more people's families and supporting the economy and, and pumping tax dollars into the system. When we have the opportunity to drop by site and just have a coffee with the guys and say hi. It's funny because even within our company, some of the newer employees, we're the, we're the people on television. They may not have seen us in the office yet. So, it's, you know, it's, it's somewhat exciting for them. And you have to remember as a CEO, as a senior manager, as an executive, you know, Dave there, you got to remember that the people in the branch are excited to see you. You know, they line up to get your autograph on, on the cruise ship. I mean, we had a lot more people line up to get our autograph, but uh, you have to remember that people look up and they don't want to just see the bottom of your, your chair. They want to see you and they want to they want a handshake and they want a pat on the back. And you really have to try and connect with the people in your organization or or they start to separate from it. They don't have that same drive. They're not going to protect your name and your brand the way that you would. That's an area that, you know, we've been struggling, obviously, stuck on an island, uh, you know, during the pandemic and with international travel. That, that's an area we've been struggling with. Let me go to the island now. I don't know if this is just TV script, but from what I understand, you guys love to take your fishing boat around these different islands. You stumble on this place. Five minutes later, you decide to buy it. Is that, was that really happened that quickly? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what happened. You know, we were stuck in a port for a few days with bad weather, and we, we chartered an airplane with the kids to go look at this relatively uninhabited island that looked great on the charts. Like, I couldn't believe there wasn't much activity there. And we got there and looked around and met a few people, and, and it really was a, should, should we buy this? And, and it was like, a, yeah, why not? Let's, let's give it a shot. And, now, how do you yeah. manage this sense of desirability, let's buy this, with the reality of what you faced when you started to really, I mean, you say, Anybody can do a business plan, but even before the hurricane and the pandemic, I mean, you uncovered a lot of warts in this place. How do you risk everything? How, what's in an entrepreneur that's willing to go, I want another roller coaster to ride? You know what? I do think there's something in all entrepreneurs. It is your gut instinct that you 
that you rely on more times than not. And I think as many books as we read, as many seminars as we go to, as many um, people that we listen to as mentors, the common thread is that as entrepreneurs, you have a gut and you have to understand and listen to that. And we have always allowed our our decisions to come from, from that place. And the hotel was no different. We both looked at each other and in a moment I could see it in Brian's eyes and I knew he saw Sarulamar finish completed. He just didn't know how we were going to get there. And the interesting thing I think for entrepreneurs is sometimes their gut tells them yes and they need to make sure that they have, you know, a team and a support network around them that can help them figure out how to get there. And and that's what we did. That's what we did with the hotel. We asked a lot of questions. We we met with a lot of people, our CFO and our bankers and everyone. And we said, this is what we are going to do. How can you help? We know what our strengths are, but we also accept what our weaknesses are. And, and you have to look to other people to help you get there and where you want to go. And that's, that was the case with this. We far exceeded our expectations and what we could accomplish here, but it was always listening to our gut and continuing to push to push forward. The hurricane hits. What I really admired about both of you, it wasn't about you. It was about the people that were being impacted. Tell me how that experience, nobody asked for it, nobody wanted it. I would say the pandemic's in the same category. How did that experience change the two of you? And what role does purpose and having a purpose other than profit play in small business? You know, we, we were actually on an RV trip in Western Canada when, you know, that, that hurricane was coming to the Bahamas. And it was, it was pointed directly at the hotel. And we, we kind of looked at each other. This was three days before it hit Abaco. We're going to get back there and there's going to be absolutely nothing left. You know, our, our life savings, three years of, of work and labor is, is going to be gone. We, we don't have... You know, business history, we didn't have lots of business insurance because we didn't have any business yet there. There was a lot of fear. And when it turned, you know, our, our initial thought was, this is great. It missed us. High five. But as soon as we returned to the island, you know, we really connected with the people on the island. You know, we made a lot of friends there. Sarah has a, a goddaughter there now. You know, we quickly realized that everybody on the island had family in those other islands. That's what they call the family island. You know, Andros is a, is a big birthplace for a lot of people that spread out around, you know, the, the 700 other islands. And we started to hear stories of, uh, I mean, Ivan is a, a big, tough guy. We call him Smiley. You'll never see him without a huge smile. Uh, and he had tears in his eyes. He said, my two 13-year-old boys are with, you know, my mother uh, in Abaco, and we haven't heard from them in five days. So tear-jerking stuff when you're a parent. You know, on one hand, I say business is business, but on the other hand, you have to look at it and say, you know, business is made up of the people that work for that business. And you have to make sure that people are protected, people feel safe, people feel happy, people can feed their families. We talked to the Minister of Tourism and the Prime Minister, and I said, should we just shut everything down and take all our people and resources and go? You know, that was our first thought was just go up there and and dig through rubble and, and try and help. You know, they said, no, you should keep keep renovating the hotel, keep moving forward and and we didn't really understand you know until we talked with our staff and they said we now have family we need to bring to the island and we need to feed them so we need to still feed our family we need this job we need the support we need tourists coming to the island to inject revenue into the local economy to, to to let other stores grow and other families survive so it really became a matter of stay the course to support the people around us so that we could all support those other people that needed to be taken care of. And, and I think, you know, I think every business, if you have any degree of success, 
Uh, and I've said it for years, if you have an extra sandwich and your neighbor is hungry, you should give that sandwich to your neighbor. I mean, it's that, it's that simple. Brian and Sarah, I just want to end up by saying, here's some incredible lessons that I learned from talking to both of you. Sarah, I'm going to begin with you. This, this sense of empathy from day one of realizing that this world just doesn't revolve around you. From dealing with Brian's anxiety to all the things that you do to just really say, how can I help others get to where they want to go? I think, Brian, when you talked about the quiver of arrows, it's an incredible lesson in life for small business. 100%, 110% are just things. Fill your knapsack, get your arrows, be prepared to react. But the thing that really connects you to small business owners, I think connects you to a TV audience, is just this sense of gratitude, humility, and this higher purpose that you really framed at the very end. If you got an extra sandwich, give it to your neighbor. So I just want to thank you so much. To Brian DeSera, to RBC, to the small business owners, the heroes of Canada. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having us. It's been great. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. 